0: Just a brief disclaimer, there's more graphic than usual violence this week. I listed all the details on MythPodcast.com. This week, on the Myths and Legends podcast, we're finishing the story of Sinbad the Sailor. We'll learn all about throwing pebbles at apes for fun and profit, inopportune power naps, and how you shouldn't offend someone who's giving you a ride, especially if you're literally riding on their back, hundreds of feet up in the air. The creature this time is one from Polynesian mythology, who surfs down rainbows in his fish slippers. (laughs) This is the Myths & Legends Podcast, Episode 71C. There and back and there and back again. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. Previously on the podcast, Sinbad the Sailor went on seven adventures, and then retired to a life of paying strangers to listen to his stories of said seven adventures. We're on Adventure 4 out of 7, where Sinbad actually got married. His marital bliss was short-lived, however, when his wife became terminally ill. And he learned that the local culture required widows and widowers to be lowered into tombs with their late spouses to die, so the couple could be together forever. And that's where we'll pick up with Sinbad, being lowered into the tomb. Ow, ow, ow. <sighs> Sinbad thought to himself, Sure, they were lowering him into a pit to starve to death, but couldn't they make it more comfortable? The ropes chafed his armpits. His feet came to rest on the floor of the tomb, at last, below the light shining in from the opening. Okay, Sinbad, just get out of the ropes so we can pull him up, someone hollered from above. Yep, Sinbad yelled back. Okay, I'm out. Uh, no you're not. We can all see you, the people at the top shouted. It's, it's just a trick of the light. I'm out, really. Just pull it up without hesitation or, you know, thought as to why these ropes are so heavy. <sighs> Whatever, guys. Just let the ropes go, Sinbad could hear them say, before the ropes slapped onto the ground around him. Oh. His bread and water came down next, and then the men at ground level were all too eager to seal off the tomb and be rid of Sinbad. They had taken him captive back when his wife became sick, and he wasn't even able to be with her when she died, just days later. That sounds sad, but he wouldn't really have been with her anyway. He was totally planning on running away the night she started coughing up blood, but she had already told friends about her illness. Sinbad got a look around the tomb as the light from above faded. As her husband, he was expected to drag his wife's body down into the catacombs to put her in her final resting place. He looked down the winding, labyrinthine caves and decided that there was no way he was going to do that. He'd never come out. Simbad, of course, had another plan. It was a full two weeks until the tomb opened again, and Simbad, who had been conservative with his bread and water, was just finishing up the last of his rations that morning. It had been a long two weeks, the air in the entryway to the tomb's growing more and more putrid. He watched the moonlight flood the tomb as people above lowered another body. And while he waited he scouted out a better place to sleep, away from the corpses and the rats. He watched a woman being lowered down after the body. She was weeping, and when she reached the ground, she unlooped the ropes and hugged her husband's wrapped body as they lowered her rations. Sinbad marked her position in his mind as the last light faded again. Hey there, how's it going? Sinbad said to the woman in the darkness. Oh, well, I mean, you know, Besides the obvious part where your husband died and you were sealed up in a tomb with him to die, you'll get used to the smell. The woman continued weeping over her husband's body, but soon pulled herself together enough to thank God that they wouldn't be alone when they died. Sinbad said, well, yeah, that was true. Thank God and all that, but more accurately, it was only true for her. She was confused by Sinbad's cryptic and ominous statements, but since it was completely dark in the cavern, she didn't see the shin bone that he had in his hand or him swinging it at her head. Simbad struck her, until he was sure she was dead, and then gathered her rations. What? You murdered her? burst the porter, spitting out his lunch. What? No, not at all. But you killed her, the porter said. Well, yeah. And how is that not murder? It might be hard for a porter to understand all the philosophical nuances of my actions, Simbad said, but I'll put it simply. She was put there to die, so she was dead already. It was inevitable. What I did was merciful. Well, but you made it out, the porter said, so it was technically possible to survive. She wasn't completely, inevitably doomed. I'm pretty sure that's not the case, Sinbad said, despite it absolutely being the case. And I should mention, the texts just say that Sinbad killed the widow. Present-day Sinbad didn't show any remorse. Anyway, Sinbad said, I used the extra rations to survive the next few weeks, and, well, she and her husband were apparently super rich, so I may have helped myself to, you know, a little bit of all of her riches." "'Oh my gosh, you robbed her too?' the porter said. "'You can't rob a dead person,' Sinbad countered, not at all defensively. Besides, she wasn't even the richest one." "'Oh no, how long were you down in the tombs?' asked the porter. Well, it, it's hard to keep track of time underground. Sinbad started, but saw the porter staring. Uh, months, Simbad said. I was down there for months. The porter face palmed, understanding exactly what Sinbad was saying. Just get on with the story, he said. A few months later, Sinbad was doing pretty well for himself. He guessed there was a plague or something above, because they were sending him people every few days. All it took was a quick meeting with Mr. Shimbone and Sinbad gained more rations and riches. Then, from somewhere in the darkness, Sinbad heard a growling and a gnawing. He shirked in fear at first, but then he thought that, unless there was a whole community of subterranean dogs that lived and died without ever seeing the daylight, then there might be a way out. Whatever was growling had to be coming from somewhere. He took off after it. He tripped over a few bodies and cut his arm pretty badly, and the thing ran from him. He remained close enough to hear it, running up ahead. Through the twisting and winding catacombs, Sinbad started to realize that the air wasn't as corpsey in this direction, and, soon, a pinpoint of light appeared off in the distance. He ran toward it without reservation. And, yes, there was an opening to the outside of the catacombs where, if Sinbad would have explored even a little bit, he could have found it, and maybe not had to murder a dozen people to survive. Sinbad sweated and strained, as he dragged the riches he had picked off the people he had murdered, in the clothes he had taken off the people he had murdered, and I'm not joking, this is in the original text. You might be saying to yourself, self, it would make sense that Sinbad would murder strangers in the dark. I mean, they were basically sentenced to die. He might be merciful, and he might say he's just using the rations so that one person could live, as opposed to no people living. It's not ideal, but maybe Sinbad's not evil, just a survivor. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm about to take the proverbial shimbone to Sinbad's carefully constructed facade. Apparently, while hanging out on the side of the mountain after his escape, Sinbad decided to make a daily walk back into the tombs to see if any more people had appeared. When there were, he used the shimbone to relieve the bereaved of their riches and life, and dragged the stuff out in their clothes. Okay, so that's definitely murder, the porter said. You are confessing to murdering people. Ugh, porter, it's a story, relax. It's a story you said was true, the porter said, in which you are saying you murdered multiple people. Look, I don't know if you're familiar with narrative theory, Sinbad started to explain, but there's a thing as the actual author and the implied author, the latter being, but the porter cut him off. Yeah, okay, that's not what that means, the porter interrupted. You, Sinbad the Sailor, actually bludgeoned people to death with a shimbone in a cave, didn't you? You know what, we should move on, Sinbad the sailor said after a long pause, still pretty adamant that he didn't do anything wrong. In a shocking development for anyone who has listened to the previous two Sinbad stories, he was able to flag down a ship, and the crew gave him and the Jewelry of the Dead a ride back to Basra and then Baghdad. For the next several years, Sinbad would be incapacitated with anxiety when he thought of his time in the catacombs, and he ended up giving all the money from the jewelry to clothe widows and orphans, because he's such a good guy, and not at all because on some level he was haunted by murdering dozens of people. Back in the present day, it was nearing the time for Sinbad the porter, to leave for the day, though he would be back tomorrow. He just needed the 100 gold pieces, as this was basically his job now, before heading out to sleep at his own place for the night. So, despite getting married, losing his wife, being trapped in a crypt for weeks, and coming home with a lot of blood jewelry, Sinbad decided to go out sailing again. And, things actually went well for Sinbad and the crew, usually it's just one or the other. They made a lot of money, bought a lot of stuff, and now they were on their way back to Baghdad, with a ship full of money and stuff. Good times. They had stopped by an island to rest and explore. Sinbad was sitting talking with the captain aboard their anchored ship, when he heard cheers coming from a nearby island. He took a long drink. It was nice to hear cheers this time, you know, as opposed to screaming. Still, he was kind of anxious. He decided to stay by the boats, not wanting to go looking for trouble. After all, it looked like this trip would be smooth sailing all the way back. Seeing as he was 4 for 4 so far for voyages with horrible consequences, he kept feeling like he was due, but. He just sighed and tried to relax. He took one glance toward the island and nearly spit out his drink. On the coast stood a man covered in blood and smiling. The man was a member of the crew and he had come back to get Sinbad. They had found something that reminded them of the stories that Sinbad told. Namely because it was something exactly out of his stories. They had found a dome sitting atop a mountain just inland of it and as anyone would do in such a situation. They began wailing on it with clubs and swords. (laughs) Well, naturally, said Sinbad. Yeah, but we saw that it wasn't a dome, but an egg, the crewman shouted, still beaming. Oh, nice, cool. It must be the rock. You know, the giant bird that blots out the sun. You're all going to want to get... Wait a second, Sinbad said. Why, why are you bloody? Well, that's how we figured out it was an egg, buddy, the crewman said. We broke it open for absolutely no reason, other than to prove we could do it, slash move the fifth adventure along. Anyway, an ocean of egg junk came out, but then, wouldn't you know it, a baby bird was in there too. And I'm guessing we're getting to the blood part, Sinbad said, looking at the sky uncomfortably. Well, yeah, the baby bird was like six stories tall and monstrous, the crewman said. So we slaughtered it, and it was pretty easy too. (laughs) The thing was basically defenseless. Anyway, you should come check it out seeing as it's from your story and all. Sinbad threw down his drink and grabbed the captain. They had to go now. The captain said that he wouldn't leave without the other men, but Sinbad argued that they were already dead. The captain scoffed. What did Sinbad mean? They were right there, triumphantly dragging the carcass of a slaughtered baby bird. They were doing fine. Okay, wow, where did the sun go? Sinbad began shaking as the sun disappeared not behind one, but two rocks. The mother and her mate now Simbab was shaking uncontrollably. The captain scrambled to ready the ship, and in minutes they were sailing away. They watched in sorrow as the rocks devastated the men, carrying the dead baby bird, and then in terror as the creatures turned to look at the fleeing ship. They felt an earthquake, realizing that the mountain that had been on the island was now gone. Well, more accurately, it was now above them. The rock lifted the mountain up and dropped it into the sea. Fortunately for Simbad and the others, this would be like us trying to drop rocks on fleas. The mountain landed just a few miles away, but created such a wave that Simbad actually saw the ocean floor. The wave pushed in their favor, though, and they sped away from the birds. Simbad watched the other rock grab whatever she could from the island and fling it at their boat. It just looked like a talon full of gravel, not nearly as threatening as a mountain. But as the debris flew closer, Sinbad realized that the scale was kind of off when he was looking at it before it may have been like gravel to the creature but it was raining boulders on the ship Sinbad screamed if it wasn't blind cyclopees flinging boulders at the ship he didn't want boulders flying at his ship well fortunately they nearly all missed just one clipped the front of the boat and since boats are generally designed to keep water out in order to float the ship began to sink Sinbad sighed yep there it is The ship was sinking. Can't he just have one boat trip without a whale being an island or a giant bird blocking out the sun? Why did this stuff keep happening to him? Uh, Alright, now to find a plank to float on and get mentally prepared for some weird stuff to happen. And, yeah, surprise, weird stuff happens. But that will be right after this.
1: Alright,
0: now back to the show. Sinbad awoke in a beautiful garden, where the birds themselves were singing songs praising God. Sinbad narrowed his eyes. Okay. He had to be on the lookout for weird stuff. But in the meantime, he would just try this free piece of fruit. Hmm? Hmm? Nope. Nothing? No weird stuff? Okay. Well, he would sleep under this cool tree, and he just waited with a stick in his hand. To bludgeon the first thing that would pop out to murder him. Hmm, okay. Nothing again? And Sinbad found that the forest was both cool enough and warm enough that Sinbad could sleep on the soft grass without a blanket, and he could wake up to enjoy all the sweet fruit and melodic birdsong that he wanted. Now this, this was kind of nice. This was even better than the last trip with his marriage and thriving saddle empire, because he was fairly certain that he wouldn't have to murder anyone on this trip he spent several days just relaxing and exploring, before chancing on another human being. It was a harmless old man, sitting against a cliff face, meditating, and Sinbad came and tapped him on the shoulder, smiling and introducing himself. The old man smiled and nodded, making it clear that he didn't speak Sinbad's language, or was choosing not to speak at all. Sinbad studied him, and far from an evil ogre, the old man looked harmless, gaunt actually, His legs were crossed and covered with leaves. And Sinbad thought that maybe the man was stuck here. The man asked Sinbad, through gesturing, if Sinbad could carry him to the fruit trees to get some fruit. You know what Sinbad said? How about I just get some fruit? No? Really though, it's way easier for me to get some fruit and bring it back. Oh, oh, you're getting up and I should turn around. All right. Oh, and we aren't just doing a piggyback thing, but a full shoulder ride. Okay, this is getting just a little weird. Hope you were clothed under those leaves. Oh, oh, okay. Your legs are hairy and dark like a bear's. Fantastic. And here was the weird stuff. Sinbad was going to tell the man to get down, but he couldn't. Because the creature put him in a smelly demon chokehold. Simbad awoke to the creature kicking him in the chest. Already having deep lacerations from the thing's hooves, Sinbad sighed. All right, the weirdness was here. How was he going to get out of this one? He thought these rips were kind of getting a bit formulaic. But then the creature beat him for pausing long enough to sigh. The next few weeks were not fun for Sinbad. The evil old demon man wrapped his legs around Sinbad's neck and refused to get down. At all. The creature slept up there. He ate up there. And After a while, Sinbad wondered how the creature was going to get down and go to the bathroom. But then he felt how the creature was going to go to the bathroom. All down his back. Anytime Sinbad started throwing a fit about the creature kicking him bloody or defecating on him, you know, petty stuff, the demon would just put him into a chokehold until he passed out, expecting Sinbad to have a better attitude about things when he woke up. Sinbad, after weeks like this, began to despair. He was allowed the smallest bit of freedom though, but I mean, how free can you get with a demon riding on your shoulders? Sinbad came to a valley with gourds and grapes. He hauled out a gourd, filled it up with grape juice, and let nature handle the rest. In a number of days, he had a crude wine. For anyone wondering, that's actually how the earliest wine was made. Wild yeasts found their way into juice, and they ate up the sugar. It's called spontaneous fermentation, due to the variable quality of the yeast and the wine it produces. It's not considered an ideal way to brew, but first and bad, it would get the job done. He knew that drinking wasn't a solution to all your problems, but it really seemed like a great solution to this particular problem. So, Sinbad got really, really drunk. Sinbad felt awesome. Sure, he had a demon on his shoulders and he was technically trapped forever, but that did not stop him from drunkenly acting out his adventures for his captor. The demon just had to hold on tight, and when he got to the rock and Sinbad staggering through the trees, pretending to be a massive bird of prey, the demon had to stop him. What in the world was going on? Sinbad raised the jug to the demon. It was wine. He said that he was feeling good, and there was nothing the demon could do about it. The demon looked at the jug. Wine? Sinbad couldn't believe it. The demon had not heard of wine? Oh my gosh, he needed to try it. He needed to try it right now. It smelled kind of gross, but the demon shrugged. If it made his stupid captive feel this good, it had to be worth a try. Sinbad watched the demon put the gore to his mouth and take a really big drink. More than Sinbad had drunk so far. And Sinbad had a pretty high tolerance from all of his crazy parties, where he drank so much that going back out on all these boat trips actually seemed like a good idea. Sinbad cautioned him, Hey buddy, if this is your first time, you're going to want to slow down. This thing has a kick. Mm, eh, you're not listening anyway. You're probably good. You probably have super high magic demon tolerance or something. They both spent the next half an hour pretending to be the rock, flying majestically through the air, until Sinbad felt something he hadn't for the past few weeks. The demon was dropping. The demon really should have listened to Simbad when the experienced partier told him to, you know, pump the anachronistic brakes. But he didn't, and he was now passing out from all the wine. At this point, Simbad was sober enough to start to despair. He was going to get such a beating when the demon woke up, Simbad sat trying to help the limp body of the demon back on his shoulders. When he paused. What? What was he doing? The demon was unconscious. He should just run away. Or maybe not run away. Sinbad looked around in search of a rock that was big, but not so big that he couldn't use it to bludgeon something about 40 or 50 times. And that's exactly what Sinbad did hitting the demon's head until there wasn't a head left to hit. By that time, it was morning, and Sinbad, heavily hung over and crusted with demon filth, staggered out from the forest, to see a ship anchored out in the harbor. It was another random ship that likely insisted that Sinbad take a bath, though I don't think water exists that's hot enough for Sinbad to scrub the last few weeks from himself. He hitched another ride, and Sinbad thought that they would be headed back to Baghdad, because that's just how these things seemed to go, except they weren't. They were going to the Mountain of the Apes. Wait, the porter chimed in. Again? Oh, no, 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 this one is different. This one has a city by it. You mean, there are two Mountains of the Apes, the porter said. You really shouldn't call them both the Mountain of the Apes. You know what, never mind, just, just keep going. Well, anyway, the city by the second Mountain of the Apes would empty at nightfall, and the inhabitants would sleep in the harbor, for fear of the apes that swarmed down from the mountain the captain of simbad's newest ship deciding that he needed exactly none of that left minutes after they stopped at port unfortunately simbad was not notified of the change of plans and he was once again abandoned by a mountain of the apes but it wasn't as bad as watching your friends and colleagues being eaten before your eyes because he had made some friends in the nearby city in the city They had an interesting way of making money. While the apes had absolutely no problem scaring everyone from their homes each night, they did have one weakness themselves. Very small rocks. Simbad and the other inhabitants would make their way into the forest each day and throw rocks at the apes. The apes, in retaliation, would climb the trees and throw coconuts at the men, who would say thank you and pick up the coconuts and sell them for a ridiculously high price to passing merchants. If you were concerned that the super-wealthy Sinbad wasn't going to find a way to become even richer this time around, worry no more. He, again, became rich, and, being rich, found no trouble securing passage on a merchant ship back to Basra, a port city in Iraq. What are you drinking that you keep forgetting about all these horrible, horrible experiences and going on these trips? The porter asked the next day but Sinbad the sailor ignored him, and started on the story of his sixth adventure. He fast forwarded to the part where the ship was already wrecked, it was again the wind's fault, it can propel you across the sea, or slam you into a mountain, and, if you have Sinbad aboard, odds are good that it's going to slam you into a mountain. Seriously, don't travel anywhere with Sinbad. He was stranded with a group this time, and, in a weird turn, nothing weird happened. There wasn't anything to eat on the island, so they shared what food they could. Before, one by one, the sailors began dropping dead from starvation. It grew so dark for Sinbad, that our protagonist dug himself a grave. He was the last one alive, and when he finally collapsed, he would just fall into his grave, and the wind would blow the sand over him, giving him a burial. Then, Sinbad sat up. No, no this wouldn't be it. After everything he had been through, he wouldn't just lay down and die of hunger. He had ridden a bird that blotted out the sun, outran massive serpents, and seen a rhinoceros. He was Sinbad, and he would fight for his life. I'm not sure why no one starving on an island thought to do this, but Sinbad lashed together a raft. In a classic Sinbad move, he packed the raft full of riches that he took from the wrecked ship and off the dead men. Finally, Simbad took one last look back at the line of graves, that he had dug for his fellow sailors, and pushed out into the ocean. And a current sucked him into a dark tunnel, that went underneath the mountain. In moments, it was completely dark, and Sinbad could feel his raft bump and scrape against the sides of the tunnel. His turban hit the top as well, and again, he began to despair. If his raft became stuck in the darkness, then there will be truly no way out. He will be dead. So Sinbad did what any of us would do, in a stressful situation, where our raft was careening into the dark unknown, underneath a mountain. Sinbad took a nap. Oh, hey, he's waking up, the man said, though Sinbad didn't understand it, because he didn't speak the man's language. Sinbad was surprised by the sunlight hitting his face, and even more surprised by the crowd of people surrounding him. When he had laid down for his brief stress nap, he was underground. Now, he was in the middle of a field. What? What am I doing in the middle of a field? Sinbad asked aloud. Oh, cool. You speak Arabic, one of the men said, and then continued. Yeah, we were kind of wondering that too. You're kind of really far inland. Mind telling us what you're doing here? Sinbad did, though not before demanding a lot of food from the people. Again, he was taken to their king, where, again, he gained favor with his stories and the riches he pillaged from the wreckage of the ship. Then, Sinbad found his ship back to Basra and traveled to Baghdad, arriving safely and without seeing any rhinoceros or fish donkeys. Wait, that's... that's it? asked the porter. Yeah, why? Well, I mean, nothing really happened, the porter said. I almost died, Sinbad said, Well, you always almost die. It was, no offense, but really kind of a boring story, the porter said. Porter, Sinbad replied, I learned that life was worth living, that I shouldn't give up or carelessly toss it away, that life is a precious thing of which I only have one. Okay, the porter said, but did you come back and party, and then forget all that, to go to another dangerous adventure, where you would risk carelessly tossing away your life for no other reason than to get even more riches? I may have, Sinbad said. Alright, Sinbad the porter said, taking his 100 gold pieces. I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, everyone, this is it. The last Sinbad story, the 7th adventure, the series finale, the one where I stopped adventuring altogether and had to resort to my backup plan of a life of leisure, resting on my near infinite wealth. Here we go. Hey, so, funny story, the captain said but we're kind of in a weird part of the ocean. Turns out this sea is filled with massive whales that eat ship's whole. What? Simbad and the others screamed. Why are we here? You know, let's not play the blame game of who accidentally sailed everyone to certain doom and just focus on the problems at hand, like avoiding that massive whale that's lunging toward our ship. Ha, huh, just kidding. There's nothing we can do to avoid it. It's been an honor, guys, the captain said and looked in horror on the seemingly limitless, yawning darkness of the whale's mouth. Everyone screamed even louder, but Simbad was kind of a little excited. He hadn't had a Jonah experience yet. This could make for a good story. But then the wind took the ship at the last moment, and smashed it into a rock. Sinbad sighed. Oh, okay. Another shipwreck. Cool. He took his shirt and shoes off, and looked for a plank. He was basically an expert at surviving shipwrecks at this point. He, again, floated to an island, where he skipped right to building a raft this time. He took it downriver, though, into the island, and away from the sea, hopefully to find some inhabitants. He drifted for days, until he was too tired to stand, or even care, when someone threw a net over his raft, and pulled him ashore. Sinbad opened his eyes, and the face of an old man filled his vision. With what little strength he had remaining, Sinbad screamed and scrambled away. He had been in this situation before. No more old man piggyback rides, the man chuckled. That was good. He did not want a piggyback ride, but he would help Sinbad. Sinbad sat up and saw that he was surrounded by fishermen on the docks of a great city. Only Sinbad, through no action of his own, could turn a shipwreck into the best vacation ever. But that's what happened. Again. And, as it turned out, the very wood of his raft was rare in that region. And so it sold for a lot of money. After four days of being waited on hand and foot by a team of people in his own private apartment on the old man's property, Simbad sat down to lunch with the old man. The old man, well, he had an issue. He didn't have grandchildren. And, well, he had a request of Simbad. Sinbad broke out laughing, and the old man was confused. (laughs) I just... I'm sorry, I love being me, Sinbad said. Yes, yes, I'll marry your beautiful rich daughter, and we'll get right to work on that grandchild problem. Wait, and when you die, I'll get all your money too? Oh my gosh, it's like, I don't even need to try and things just work out for me. I mean, a demon did poop down my back once for like a month straight, but even that worked out. Yes, this sounds awesome. What's all that about the demon? The old man asked. Ah, doesn't matter. Son. And so Sinbad and the daughter were married. And soon, the old man died. And Sinbad, somehow, became even richer. At the beginning of every month, every male in the city would grow wings and fly into the clouds. It was a beautiful sight. And all the women and children would wave and... Wait, wait, wait. What? The porter asked older Sinbad. What do you mean what, Sinbad asked, mildly annoyed at the constant comment. People just grow wings and fly into the sky every month, the porter asked. That's what I said, Sinbad replied with a blank look. I mean, it seems like it kind of buried the lead there, the porter said. No, no, I got to it in the appropriate amount of time, Sinbad argued. You talked about the intricacies of salvaging wood on your raft for a small amount of money before you mentioned the whole city could fly. You know what, never mind, please go on. And Sinbad did, just a little more annoyed. He was paying this guy to listen, not workshop his stories. Sinbad, always wondering just how many pieces of straw he pile onto his proverbial camel's back, decided to press his luck. He wanted to fly. Again. He went to one of his friends, who could do just that. Yeah, no. I'm not carrying you up into the sky with us, the winged friend said. Why not? Sinbad scoffed. Well, one, you're like really heavy. Doesn't mean gravity doesn't apply. And two, it's like not really for you. It's hard to explain, but I'm pretty sure you'll be incinerated instantly by fire from the sky. Don't quote me on that one, but I'm like 99% sure that's what would happen, the friend said, and then put his hand on Sinbad's shoulder. Look, Sinbad, he said, it seems like you've come out on top on this one. You're rich, again, and married to a beautiful woman, again and everything's going well. You've reached a nice equilibrium that didn't involve demons going to the bathroom on you, or your friends being skewered by an ogre. Bow out gracefully, man. This isn't something you want. Sinbad, who did not need any advice on messing up his life, thank you very much, resented the winged man's meddling, and said, no. He wanted to fly for, like, the third time in his life. The man shrugged. Whatever. He told Sinbad it wouldn't end well for him, but Sinbad only laughed. Sinbad said, everything ended well for him. It did not end well for him, and frankly, things get weird, weirder than usual. While soaring on the back of the winged man, simed thought he heard the sounds of angels, and praised God. That's when things went south for him. As soon as the prayer left his mouth, fire shot from the sky, and hit him off his friend's back. He tumbled toward the earth, but luckily, he was near a mountaintop, where he landed hard. His leg was hurt, and he wasn't able to move. He sat there, cold and alone, and stared up at the sky. Ow. Okay, he admitted, maybe he had pressed his luck just a bit too far. A day later, he heard people walking up the mountain, two people. They were brothers, and they moved in sync with matching walking sticks. They said they were servants of the Almighty God, and they had something to help. Sinbad sat up, oh sweet, he said healing for his legs, the power of flight, way too much additional money in addition to the other things. The men chuckled, no, they had a walking stick. Sometimes God gives you just what you need. Now get walking. The men laughed and Sinbad rose from the ground, gripping the stick. He hobbled part of the way down the mountain until he saw the tail of a giant serpent and heard weeping from behind a bush. Simbad pulled the leaves aside until he saw a snake eating a man. The man was already up to the waist but he was still alive and Sinbad was about to turn and run but he felt the staff in his hand. He had been given this gift by God and maybe even he, Sinbad, could make a change. Maybe he could not run when he saw giant snakes eating helpless people but do something. Maybe he shouldn't murder dozens of people in a dank crypt for no reason. Sinbad was growing up. He steadied himself on a tree and beat the snake's head, till it decided that the man it was trying to eat wasn't worth the trouble and slithered away. Simbad was helping the near snake snack of a man to his feet, when they both heard something in the trees nearby. Simbad turned. Oh, it's you, he said. It was the man who had taken him up into the sky on his back. He said that he was sorry for all that, but maybe keep all that God stuff to himself the next time he was flying, okay? Sinbad shook his head. He was not following any of this. The winged man said not to worry. It was all kind of weird and confusing. But if Sinbad kept his mouth shut, the man could fly him home. Sinbad agreed and limped over to the man's back. Oh, yeah, well, probably should have mentioned it, but everyone in the city except for me are devils. Like, literally everyone. I probably should have mentioned it earlier, Sinbad's wife said when they got back to the city. Sinbad sighed, Yes, yes, you should have mentioned it. They stayed in the city for some time, until the devil men decided to venture out. Instead of using their wings, they decided to build a ship, in a move that's very convenient plot-wise. They sailed from the city, and Sinbad and his wife went with them. They transferred ships several times, until making their way to Basra, and then Baghdad. Finally, Sinbad was home. And that's it, Sinbad said. Those are my adventures, so now I'm going to open it up to a Q&A. Yes, the porter in the front. The porter lowered his hand and asked why Sinbad stopped adventuring. He had been through way worse stuff than the last adventure and continued on. Why stop at Adventure 7? Sinbad thought about it and said, well, it's a solid, meaning-packed number for storytelling purposes, but also, my wife and I just got back, like, two months ago. The porter was confused Didn't the seventh adventure happen years ago? Well, yeah, Sinbad said. And also no. We tallied it up when I got back. And apparently the adventure lasted 27 years. You know, sometimes you just lose track of time. Yeah, people lose track of time, but they don't lose track of 27 years, the porter said. Sinbad shrugged. He said the details of his life were bizarre, but he had grown in this time. And now he was finally ready to settle down. Sinbad looked at the porter with a sad, strange look on his face and then started. He said that he had lost all of his friends many times over on account of so many shipwrecks. He said that he liked the porter and he appreciated the porter coming back day in and day out, listening to the stories for the pittance of 100 gold pieces per day. He had bared his soul to the porter and if the porter wanted, Sinbad the sailor would be proud to call him a friend. Tears welled up in the eyes of Sinbad the porter. Sinbad the sailor was a weird, ridiculous man. But the porter could see that, aside from being incredibly dodgy about murdering people, Sinbad the sailor was an open and genuine person. The porter nodded. He said that he would like that, but just so we're clear, the porter said, We are never traveling together. Oh, absolutely not, Sinbad said. Talking through the stories, I really see that I'm just a magnet for disaster and demons and giant snakes. It's really bizarre. Simbad the former sailor and Simbad the former porter remained close friends for years, until death finally took them both. The Sinbad stories were fascinating and wonderful, and just the right amount of over-the-top. Just for anyone who will read the actual stories and be surprised, Sinbad the Porter wasn't a snarky metacritic of the stories, but someone who just sat and rapt attention. He's basically a non-entity, existing only to be an ear to hear Sinbad stories. Next week, it's the story of the Kelpie, from Scottish folklore, and you'll see how it might be a bad idea to take a fun ride on a sticky stretch limo party horse. That fits you... And your twelve friends. I want to say thanks to Dorknight39, me from NC, the Crimson Blade, Mr. Worm, Margaret MIT, XV Gonzo XV, ISSPL, Mama Free, Finunu, Fotness, 712, christy 18 Hana7, Blade Rig, Strat EOTU, Violent Snail, Bill 23 Madmanic999, Magna199, GinnyNecko, Eglaga01, and. Alex is writing this for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still the best place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of an official silverback gorilla-like suit. though I really don't know what the governing body is that makes it official, you can get extra episodes, source-pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that won't make friends and strangers and yourself deeply uncomfortable. And worried about your life choices, check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Adaro from Polynesian mythology. The Adaro is a fishman, and you might be thinking that he's a merman, but he's not. He is so much more. He's a fishman in that he has the basic structure of a normal man, but with fish feet, as in that it just looks like he's wearing very realistic fish slippers all the time. He also has a swordfish back, fins for hands, and just an entire pike for a head. They apparently live on the sun, of course, but after a rain, they can surf down the rainbow on their slippery fish feet, until they splash down into the South Pacific. You could be out boating, minding your own business, when you're hit by a flying fish. It will be weird, but not completely uncommon. What is uncommon, though, is the torrent of flying fish, that's just about to be unleashed on your head. If you're able to see past all the fish, you would spot a pike-headed humanoid treading water not too far away. Apparently, they have the superpower of shooting flying fish from their hands, which, yeah, if you had to name cool superpowers, it might not be the first to come to mind. But for the Adaro, it is really effective in knocking out their prey, humans. Really, anything fired at our heads will do the job, but that's beside the point. There is, however a way to stop them, mid-assault. I don't know if you're familiar with the flying fox. Basically, it's a bat. It's called a megabat. And yes, I just learned that there are such things as megabats. They can be over a foot long, with a wingspan of just over four feet. It's a megabat. Anyway, to stop the assault, you just need to have a friend toss a megabat in the water. That is kryptonite to the Adaro's fish shooting power. And it will not only be temporarily nullified, but the afflicted will regain consciousness and everyone in the boat will be temporarily protected from the Adaro. So yeah, if you want to go boating in the South Pacific, just make sure you take your pet megabat to guard against any flying fish to your head. I just hope the rabies shots are better than whatever the Adaro is going to do to you. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. And I want to say thanks to Detour for sponsoring us this week. Detour is an app all about not looking at your phone and instead looking at the world. They've got 150 immersive audio walks from Radiolab, Ken Burns, and more. It's like a great podcast that also guides you through some fascinating place. Go to detour.com slash myths to take one for free. All right, that's it. This week's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.
1: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.